G'day and welcome back to the final episode of Talking Leadership TV for June. My guest today is Jimmy Smart. Jimmy's a university dropout turned successful corporate ladder climber and now social impact startup founder, and he's faced with a new challenge. He needs to adapt his people-first leadership style from a large corporate environment where he supported large teams to the small, dynamic and fast-paced world of the startup tech. Throughout his career, Jimmy has always believed that people are the driving force behind successful businesses by creating what he sees as a positive and trust-filled environment that empowers individuals to do their best work. However, he does understand that the right environment is different for everyone, so understanding each individual's needs and why they turn up for work is critical to building a successful team. This approach proved invaluable during the pandemic when Jimmy led a brand team through one of the most turbulent disruptive periods in their leadership journey. Despite the challenges of working remotely, Jimmy's focused on trust, empathy, celebration and impact helped his team not only survive but thrive. Thank you for following the podcast, but enough from me. I'll hand over to Jimmy. Your leadership and its beginnings, what, what's that story uh, look like, mate? Yeah, sure. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, good question. So I guess... Um, I typically think about leadership mostly in, in the work environment. I had a few opportunities, I guess, to um, uh, be in a leadership role in sporting life, footy teams and all those sorts of things. But um, probably the first chance to um, to lead within the work environment came. Um, I shifted from my home in Adelaide up to a place called Roxby Downs in, in South Australia. I was working for a company called uh, the Workpack Group. Their claim to fame is uh, they're la- Australia's largest independently owned recruitment company. Um, I'd spent um, probably about 12 months working as uh, a recruitment coordinator. Like a lot of people that end up in recruitment, I sort of fell into that role. Uh, I did um, six months of a uni degree and quickly worked that, um, you know, structured learning wasn't necessarily my strong point. So had an opportunity to go and join that organization and, and did so. And um, after a period of time, um, I got the opportunity to move from uh, that recruitment coordinator role into what was called a team lead role. Um, and there's actually a bit of an interesting story there because <laughs> Workpack of um, they've got a really great system around how they use their commercial levers to drive business behaviors. Um, and through the leadership lens, it was really quite interesting because I'd sort of come through this role where it was really intrinsically motivated. Typically with recruitment, there's always a heavy commissions, um, I guess, structure. And, you know, a lot of what you're able to achieve from an earnings perspective comes from activity output placements. Um, and all of those things, you know, you are totally in the driver's seat to be able to go and actually achieve. And therefore, you sort of get remunerated accordingly to, to how successful you are in that model. What they'd worked out, which was, um, you know, ended up being a really transformational shift for me, was that once you move into a leadership role, all, all of your earnings capabilities are driven by the success of your team. So in the sense of um, if one of your team um, either aren't achieving um, commercial performance, if they're, um, if you basically lose a team member, if they're not achieving um, their financial goals with a set period of time, you actually get penalised for your team having done that. Vice versa, when you can build a team that is performing really well, that is, um, you know, achieving their own commercial goals, you actually have this ability to achieve, um, you know, almost exponential um, commission capability. 
So the reason that that was interesting was that almost in the shift of, um, you know, moving from my role of recruitment coordinator into recruitment team lead, it was this total shift in mindset to going, well, my performance is actually not the important thing anymore because if I can't lead my team to the success that they want to achieve, then I actually can't be successful in my own right. So um, that was a really cool, I guess, journey for me to go down and, and started me along the, the pathway of what it is to be a leader and, and how to make sure that you're supporting and managing teams and, um, you know, making sure that it's actually their success that becomes the, uh, the focal point. So, um, um, you know, if we were going sort of further beyond that, that leadership journey, um, from there, I, I got a taste for um, deserts for a while and I moved from there up to the Pilbara in Northern WA. And I got to lead our mining business up in a town called Tom Price. Um, so that was a broader leadership role to actually look after a whole office and in fact, a whole region rather than, you know, maybe just looking after the recruitment team. Um, and then from there moved into national operations role where I was able to lead um, a sales team across the business. Um, and then uh, probably my last leadership role within that part of the business was um, upon the the period of COVID hitting um, and, uh, and basically leading a team of, um, of recruitment um, people across multiple states, which, um, which was interesting. Thank you for the, the background setting there. It's an interesting pathway that you talk. And um, I sometimes have asked my guests and, and you've brought this back into a, a, a frame of attention for me is there's a point at which you switch your thinking from, non-leadership roles to a leadership position and what does success look like when you're the leader versus when you're not and um i think for some people it's it's a light bulb moment and for others it's a oh shit what do i do now that i'm here what does what does success look like and how do you get a team to be a high performance team um just just if i can if i can dig a little bit into that uh because i'm curious fellow at the best of times when you were leading your team did you have a strategy to make them perform better was it an individual thing or was it directed at, at, at the team as a whole um yeah no it's a good question i guess it, it's that shift from from me to we right um and going from from only having to look after yourself to actually being responsible for you know the success and and um uh, you know capability of those around you I think there was a really interesting point, which I think was from one of your previous guests. And if not one of your previous guests, then another leadership podcast I might have been listening to. But um, they were talking about how a lot of the time, one of the things that doesn't get done is actually asking someone that's moving into a leadership role, hey, do you actually want to be managing other people? Right. Uh, and often that can be one of the things that either makes, you know, a good or a bad leader. I don't know if that was one across one of your Yeah, podcasts, that, but... that was uh, Mark Labasque. Uh, yeah. uh, that was one of the early ones. Yeah, he he made that point quite strongly, and that hasn't escaped my thinking either, is how often do people tap you on the shoulder and go, do you really want to work and lead people? Is that what you really want to do? And I don't think, well, sorry, I have to preface this by saying, in my experience, I haven't heard of anyone going through that process, but it's a really simple question that never get asked. And I think... There's reasons for that because um, in your context, obviously those who were your senior management team, leadership team, whatever they were called at the time, saw you and went, there's something in what Jimmy does that we want to move forward. 
once they make that decision, there's an assumption that you want to do that. And I think you probably potentially put some nose at a joint if you said, no, I'm happy just to keep doing what I'm doing. Because um, I think there's still an assumption that my idea of what your career path should be is the right one if I'm more senior than you and you just go along because I'm more senior than you. And I don't think that's that there's some ethical issues around that, but there's also just the the um professional courtesy of asking that question. But yeah, it doesn't get asked very much. Not yeah. maybe in your world it does. I I've not heard of it much, no. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I don't um I don't think anyone actually asked the question for me outright. I mean for me, it was always, you know, that was where I wanted to go. And in fact, one of the reasons I joined the business was I saw a really clear path to be able to get into a position where, you know, I could be, you know, leading teams. And and that was a real clear, um, I guess, priority for me because, you know, I've always, I guess, seen myself as a bit of a people person, had really great interpersonal skills, really loved what it is to be able to connect with people and understanding the motivations and, you know, give them you know, the space and the capability and the knowledge to go and be the best person they can be. So I think for me, there was always this really sort of natural gravitation for want to be able to get into a position where I could test my skills in that space and and, and provide that capability. So when that, I guess, when that came up, um, I was really looking forward to the challenge. And um, I think because um, I thought it was a relatively natural skill set of mine I think I took to it relatively naturally uh, and because I had a real interest and curiosity and um, focus on the people element of the business and an understanding that it's always the people that drive the output um, irrespective of how good an organization's systems and processes are if you haven't got the right people in there um, you know doing the day-to-day then then it's all for nothing so um yeah, I was really glad to have found myself in that role and I really enjoyed my leadership journey from, you know, that that first stage of looking after a small team right through to, you know, looking after large teams and now into a slightly different dynamic in, in you know, my new venture. Yeah, it sounds very much like that's um, it's something you wanted to do. I, I guess in the context of Mark's comment, it's for those that may, maybe haven't given it too much thought. And um, again, we're all in jobs for very different reasons and, uh, knowing that that's what you wanted to do, I guess you lucked out uh, because you were in the right job. You you had that as your career focus, and um, it's probably good that your seniors know that you have that as a potential career goal because things change in organisations and they can change fairly quickly overnight. To one day you've got a senior manager that leaves, and the next they need to replace that person. And so, um, if that's your shot, it is what it is. Um, can we move on to, and I'm interested to get your feedback here, is how do you define leadership, mate? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. I'm sure it's different for everyone. So obviously that depends the, the specificity around um, my definition. Um, and I'm not sure if everyone does this, but I had my panic moment before and thought, oh, I'm not sure if I've got something interesting to say there. I better go and have a look at you know what's out there and, and what maybe some of the common uh, examples are. Um, and probably the interesting thing that I came across was that I think the the common one you see is, you know, leadership is uh, the ability to inspire and guide a group of people towards a common goal. Um, probably the one thing that I thought that that terminology misses is the importance of making sure that underneath that common goal is the understanding and 
appreciation that the group of individuals that make up that team also have their own individual goals. And if you're not paying attention and time to be able to making sure that you're um, you know, cultivating and nurturing and supporting each of those individuals and their own personal goals, you know, you are definitely doing a disservice to be able to go and achieve that overarching, you know, shared goal. So yeah, the other one that I came across, which resonated um, maybe because we've had some um, recent um, interest in starting some gardening here at home and we started a vegetable patch, but one of the other analogies I came across is, is you know, leadership is, is being a gardener, right? And, um, and through the vegetable patch analogy, you know, you've, you've got to understand um, how different plants thrive in different environments and some thrive in high stress, you know, um, you know, low watering environments, whereas others, you know, need shade and they need constant watering and they have a much, uh, I guess, um, um, higher frequency or higher touch preference and, and it's no different with with a team of individuals right it's so important to understand why people show up to work what are their motivators what are they trying to achieve what's important to them and you know creating a space which is unique to each of those individuals within the team and then when you can do that across um, the breadth of of the team that you might be leading you know that's when you have the opportunity to build you know something that that has um, the opportunity to flourish as a collective yeah, that, that makes sense. And it, it always comes back to the leadership process is around people and understanding that you're, you're dealing with other human beings. And that uh, the the wisdom, if anything, I've drawn from my guests is that it is a people game and uh, to understand what motivates someone's important um, in as much as it, it's also you're working in the context of a business. And this 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 conversation this part of the conversation leads nicely into the next area now i'd like your perspective if you could around what you see as is a, a key leadership issue from a corporate perspective and you've had that experience to potentially a social enterprise perspective what what key issue in each of those resonate with you from a leader perspective um yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think probably if I was to pull a singular theme that either has the ability to provide the most benefit but also has the ability to provide the most turbulence um, is when an organisation um, either performs well or poorly when it comes to communicating to their business. Um, and in the sense of when you do it well and you do it transparently and you do it with empathy, um, you know, you've got the ability to create a really trust centric and, um, engaged workforce. And even when, even when what's coming through isn't necessarily a positive message, um, you still have the ability to navigate challenging circumstances compared to when you do communication poorly and you're either doing it um you know trying to sugarcoat a message which doesn't need sugarcoating or if you're doing it um without enough lead time or if um you're doing it without um a level of empathy Poor communication is always the thing that I see have the biggest negative impact across the business. 
Um, and, and I guess, you know, a really, um, a really common example across that was across the pandemic, right? And um, I think the, the Workpack business did it really well in the sense of, um, you know, when, when you can approach it for what it is, and the reality was like a lot of businesses, right? There was redundancies, there was restructures, there was, you know, really um, unfortunate things happening. It still all comes down to, you know, the messaging and being transparent and, um, you know, not trying to downplay the the severity of the message. I guess I'm not I'm not articulate articulating that very well. Um, no, no, that that makes that makes sense. I, I think part of what you're saying is don't BS the people that you're working with because it it destroys confidence in any other messaging. I've seen that be destructive in multiple settings where all this individual needed to do was just um, deliver the frank and honest truth about what's going on. I think people, as much as it might impact them, you respect someone for telling you what's what because the the, um, story I've heard from others and and I want to get some of these people to talk to me on a podcast like I did with yourself is to say, and this was the analogy that was put to me is, um, if you went to a doctor and the doctor started BSing you or sugarcoating what you've got, that's not going to be good for your long-term health. If there's something not quite right, you need to know. And so I, I know exactly what you're talking about, a degree of authenticity and genuineness in how you communicate. Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, you know, and thank you for um, putting that much more eloquently than I was. <laughs> but you, and you're exactly you. right. Like if, if, if you lack insincerity or if you've, if you've got insincerity, then that destroys trust, right? Um, whereas if you come in and you say, guys, this duck, there's no two ways about it. You know, we're losing our friends, we're losing colleagues. Um, and, and, you know, there's going to be impacts across the business. You're starting from a point of trust where you can actually then, A, stimulate conversation coming back to be able to gather feedback, understand the challenges and the points of views from across an organisation and be able to deal with them as best as you possibly can mm. compared to if you come in with the insincere messaging and, um, and you know, try and, you know, polish the turd for a very... Um, <laughs> For a very um, uh, ineloquent uh, uh, analogy, but um, yeah, so you, you, you summarise that well. Yeah, it, it makes that makes sense. Um, you really do want to hear the truth coming from people that are um, there to actually lead the joint. And sometimes there's just bad news. It's just bad news. And um, I heard some stories through COVID. Now I made the mistake partway through the pandemic, probably halfway through the worst of it. And I was being a judgy piece of crap and I hate doing this, but thought, oh, businesses that aren't keeping people on, they're just hateful, spiteful human beings that don't want to keep their staff on to save money. Businesses were at a pretty shitty point in their existence. And so I can freely admit I made a mistake. Now I understand why it was terrible looking back now, but it speaks to the mindset I had. And I don't have this mindset anymore that, when you're in the world of work or be that for, for profit or not for profit, shit can change very quickly. And the adaptability of leaders is one thing, but it's also how do you inculcate a culture that allows you to have those conversations? Um, and I think it's more difficult by the sounds of it, you create an environment where those conversations can happen. 
but there are businesses where that doesn't happen. And so um, it's, it, it tests your, your capabilities in that, in that regard. And in that, in that context, Jimmy, if I can from you, what are your list of key leader capabilities? Now that there, there is no right or wrong set of capabilities here, just the ones that are the most prominent for you. And just so I don't forget, there is no um, definitive definition of leadership. I've, I've heard multiple permutations of what it is and everyone has a kernel of, of um, authenticity to it. And I, I think you couldn't get a bunch of leaders in a room to agree on one definition because of the nature of leadership, which is a process, not a set one thing. Because if it was, you wouldn't have people working in this space all the time trying to develop leaders because we all we would all know what the answer is and kind of move on and do something else. So um, but but getting back to the question here, your key leader capabilities. Yeah. Um so I mean a lot of them stem from I guess my key focus as a leader, which is which is always to put people first, right? Um and the things that I've found that um have built the best cultures and um, empowered, you know, the best teams um, probably start with a couple of things that you hear a lot around, you know, leadership and, and probably that um, come up a lot of these off the podcast. But, you know, I think empathy is one of the biggest things. You know, if you, if you can display real empathy where you can come from a position that understands um, everyone's individual um, points of view, their priorities, their motivators, their drivers, um, you know, that puts you in a really great position to be able to understand how everyone best fits into the broader, um, I guess, space across a, across a team. Empathy is one really big one. Trust is an absolute must, which we already spoke about. Um, you know, if people don't trust you, um, certainly you won't be able to get the best out of them you certainly won't be able to have honest and upfront conversations around um you know whether there's challenges whether there's frustrations whether there's um, um you know issues and, and all those sorts of things um i think a big one for me is is um fun like you know you've, you've got to find ways to be able to weave you know fun and enjoyment into the day-to-day -day work of 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 leadership um, and that can take any number of forms like you know whether it's um, I think in the modern age if you haven't got a mean channel um, you know across your team there's there's something seriously wrong you know we used to do things like have um, vocab points where you'd have a, a, a word of the day that you had to work into one of your conversations as part of your normal business and you know you basically get your tally of, of across the week and you've got a vocab champion that you, you celebrate at the end of each week um, you know, anything that you can do to sort of, um, you know, find opportunities to laugh and, and enjoy each other's company, I think it's imperative. And, and it's probably become more difficult um, other than the memes part in, in the distributed work world that we now live in. Um, and then sort of adjacent to the fun is, is I think recognition is massive for me as far as what I think is an important part of creating a great culture and, and being a great leader. Um, one of the important sort of, I guess, um, one of the important 
subcategories of, of, of celebration is making sure that you're not just celebrating one type of output. You know, so typically in a business, you might have a KPI related um, celebration. So the person that's done the most calls, the person that's made the most placements, the person that's had, you know, the greatest overall output. But when you start to think about, okay, well, not knowing that not everyone here is either inclined to have that as their standard operating procedure and, and that's not necessarily a motivator for everyone. Like for me, it was really important to have two or three different recognition points, not just, you know, performance output related, but also around, you know, whether it was culture, whether it was around mentoring, whether it was around um, community building, culture building. Um, and so for me, I made it a personal, um, I guess, focus to be able to recognise everyone for each of their different strengths when they were, you know, bringing those particular things to the table. One question I wanted to ask you is you you seem to be very focused on the team and that there's no issue with that. But in terms of your own practice, do you take time to do the um, that introspective gig looking at your own practice and actually take some time out of your work week to think about uh, uh, an issue or a point in time where you've gone, shit, that could have gone better. What could I have done? differently do you do that kind of introspective stop gap at any point in time i'm curious and i'm going to be asking this more of future guests in that it's one thing to be focused on others and i think that's critical if you're going to be an effective leader but there's also that management of self so is that something you do on a regular or only when there's there's key stress moments in your leadership process yeah it's good i mean and i'll I'll often probably look to others for feedback in how I'm doing. Um, and so whether that's um, peer feedback, whether that's seeking feedback from those that, you know, might have been my seniors within that organisation um, and and certainly had lots of um, value from, you know, particularly those structured feedback opportunities where, you know, um, there is the opportunity to say, hey, what did I do well? What could have I done better? Were there any specific examples where you didn't get what you needed from me? And you know, we can we can make sure that there's opportunities to improve on that moving forward. Um, I'm just trying to think whether there was sort of other opportunities where you can sort of you know take that stopgap and um, and review what you're doing. But I think I probably typically aim to go and seek feedback from others rather than do that introspective piece, which maybe needs to be something I get better at. Oh, and, and I'm I'm asking just just out of curiosity because I know that, um, and I only had a, a small window of time in a senior leadership role comparative to others, and I could have done more on that front to be honest because I didn't seek that external feedback as much as I needed to because there's always a fear that someone's going to say some stuff that you're going to go hey not liking that and it, separating the personal from the professional can be difficult sometimes when you're in a leadership role because you think it's all on you when it's really not the case, but that, that's an, that's an Eric thing. It's not a, it's not a Jimmy thing. That's for sure. And I'm, I'm growing more and more curious around how people um, adapt their own practice. So obviously you look to others to give you that feedback and more power to you for doing that. I'm, yeah, I'm just curious to see how that one 
plays out. And um, I think there is a, a level of uh, security in your own practice if you're prepared to go out to others to get that feedback because um, you'll have colleagues that will give it to you raw and that's good to know. Um, but it's also you really want constructive feedback, not destructive feedback, and that that's mm. the risk you take when you ask someone else to give you a bit of a breakdown of how it is that you're going. Um, yeah. And maybe just to just to wrap that one up, like I guess one of my biggest um, adaptions since coming out of the corporate world, of which there was, you know, in, again in the Workpack example, circa five or six hundred employees, where there are large teams, you've got both upwards and downwards, um, you know, I guess reporting capabilities. And there's there's a never ending list of people that you can go and actually seek that feedback from, or that you're actually getting that, um, you know, by virtue of, of normal, I guess, business processes. So to, to go from that into, um, you know, a, a, a brand new social venture, which is a technology startup where literally I've been, you know, employee number one, for the last you know circa 14 months now i haven't got those reference points to say hey how am i doing what could i do better um so that's actually been a real challenge for me as far as going okay well where are my points of um calibration um and i've had to go and you know seek that from you know the board instead or mentors or partners or um you know wherever i can go and get it which was just a real um i guess point of adaption for me and and something that I had to try and adjust to. Oh, it's good to hear that you're doing that, um, reaching out to a mentor or a coach or other people in that um, that founder space, the that social enterprise space where you can have the chat. Uh, there's plenty of people in that space that will give you the, the good oil on what you're doing and, and give you their experience. And that that's all you can really draw from is what, what worked for you and what didn't and what lessons can you draw from that? But that's easy for someone like me to say, because I've never done what you've done. And it's, it's hard when you think you don't have that network, but you've probably got that environment set up. It's adapting it to the new situation. That's always a bit of a challenge. And we could, um we could do another podcast on that. And I think we will at some point, but I won't, I won't hit you and stress you about that at the moment, but I will ask you this through the COVID process. Now I'm, I'm assuming here that we're sort of at the tail end of the worst impacts of COVID. Touch wood that that you know that that doesn't change anytime soon. Do you think leadership practice was impacted through COVID from your experience, or it stayed the same, or somewhere in between? Um, I mean, I think there was there was definitely some. Um, definitely some 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 shifts in what every leader had to do right as far as what the pandemic forced on on what was business as usual so whether that was you know shifting to a full remote and now semi-remote you know work environment and and having to adapt to um you know having team in the office and you know being able to call meetings if you had to at you know relatively short notice or um you know being able to um, have that sort of person-to-person -person, um, opportunity for, for collaborating and, and culture and all those sorts of things. And people have had to adapt to, okay, well, what does that look like now in a, in a hybrid work environment? How do we maintain culture? How do we keep people connected? How do we make sure that if someone's having a bad day and needs support, that we can provide that support, right? Because 
before all you had to do was look around the corner and you could have seen one of your team members that you know might have looked overly stressed or um you know might have something going on in their lives where you could you know literally take that cue and, and go and provide some support um so i think i think everyone's sort of having to make um changes in in how to do that um i think there's been changes for the better too of course like you know the ability to um for everyone to have a level of comfort that you don't need to be in the office you know all the time and that you know this this shift towards outcome based um you know management where as long as people are delivering on you know what they're brought into the business to do then you know if they're taking early afternoons to go and pick their kids up if they're taking a day off all that sort of stuff like i think there's just a more equitable and sustainable work environment at least in a lot of spaces like if you retail or those sorts of things then maybe not so much but um so i think there's definitely been you know good and bad changes to business that uh, that are or you know not necessarily bad but the challenges to overcome yeah, I'd have, I'd have to agree. I, I think we're going to see more of the fallout, good and bad, um, in the next coming um, half decade or so and lots of books being written, written on what did we go through through that space and there'll be a lot of um, uh, not just navel-gazing but looking back and looking at things through rose-coloured glasses and that maybe wasn't so bad. And I think in some sectors it was terrible and some people went through some really bad stuff and in others not so much because of the nature of the work. And if if I, as a as someone who is a leadership tragic, is going to draw anything from this, it's that uh, the training and development and understanding of what leadership is for those in leadership roles was highlighted through COVID as in some circumstances being great, in others not so great, but uh, not to the extent where you can point a finger at someone because nobody saw this shit coming. It hit and businesses either adapted or they didn't. And so the resilience of your business in some ways has nothing to do with you personally as a leader because if your circumstances changed, you you couldn't get product to market or countries were locked up, no amount of good leadership is going to change that. So it, yeah. kind of, it kind of is what it is. So I I have stopped um, being judgy in that regard because I I didn't live through the most harrowing part of it because I worked from home and I was in that hybrid work environment for about eight years. So it, this wasn't new to me, but to see the reactions of some people, I really understood what it meant for some to want the social interaction because as a introvert myself, being at in a home office and doing my gig nine to five, perfect. I, I need my own headspace. I can just get the job done. I don't need others to get energized to do what I need to do. But there are other fellow human beings that that get their kick of the, the day, the week to be around other people. And when you couldn't have that, I understand why some people got really stressed through that process. And um, like I said, there's, there's more outcomes to this, but we're going to focus on you. So let me ask you the following, Jimmy. The nature versus nurture question: Are leaders born or are they made? Um, yeah, I've thought a bit about that, and I think um, my, at least my opinion, is nurture. Um, but I think the nurturing that shapes a leader happens from a really, really young age. Um, and again, if we put people at the centre of what leadership is, you know, a lot of it comes from I think an upbringing, your set of beliefs. Um, you know, what you were taught, what it is to be a good human being and how you can, you know, use that to go and help, you know, inspire and lead and, and encourage others. 
and as I was thinking about it, there was probably two um, formative moments that played a part in, um, I guess, my broader leadership journey as it as it ended up materialising. Um, and one was well, they were both examples of where I remember my parents being really proud of me because of the actions that I took. And one was when I got um, the Welcomer Award in reception. So I must have been five years old or something. And, um, you know, way beyond any academic achievement or a score on a test. Like I remember explicitly how proud my mum was when I got issued the Welcomer Award, which basically highlighted that I was the person that would go out of my way to go and, um, you know, find the new kids and making sure that they had someone to play with and that, um, you know, that everyone was included and, um, you know, you know, all these sorts of things, which, you know, for me at that really early age instilled that, you know, you should always be doing what you can to look after um, other people and, and all those sorts of things. So then the other one um, was when I think I was maybe in year 10 and, um, and I overheard my dad talking about a call that he'd got from the school. And basically what it was, uh, there was a new kid that had just started, there was a common theme here, and um, and he'd actually been in an unprovo unprovoked um, assault. And basically one of the other kids had, had uh, assaulted this guy um, when he'd just gone to ask for his football back. And um, anyway, I'd heard about it and, and I sort of took the opportunity to go and confront the gentleman that had um, assaulted this, this new kid. And, um, and, you know, had a chance to basically, you know, not resolve the issue because he couldn't unassault him, but at least bring a level of um, justice to make sure that there was some retribution from a, from a, a faculty perspective um, and, and give this, this new kid a chance to, um, I guess, um, have some sort of resolution. And, you know, I remember my dad talking about the fact that how proud he was that his son had sort of gone out of his way to go and, you know, I guess action and injustice, um, which, which, you know, between those two experiences, I think, you know, those sorts of things are then what you take into your leadership journey and it provides that framework and those beliefs that, you know, make sure you are, you know, welcoming people into your team or your organisation, providing a safe space, um, you know, making sure they can feel included, making sure that you're not letting injustices go by and making sure that you are, you know, fighting for, for um, you know, the rights of, of those that might need you to do so. That's really interesting, Matt. That's an old soul in a young, <laughs> young, young person's um, mind. Uh, and because I, I, I've met some people like you younger that were the, um, trying to get some, some um, equity in some things didn't always succeed, but you could tell, there were people, people, and that that comes up, um, that comes up in discussions around uh, the um, the nature versus nurture, and some people have that nurtured through their their growth into maturity, or it's just part of their nature that gets developed down the track. But again, if you hadn't identified that as a leadership thing that you wanted to pursue it's a choice to go that way and you may never have wanted to do it, but I think it was inevitable that you got to a point where you were doing what you're doing. And that um, that's always a, a mixed bag, depending on the environment that you've got. 
I, I, I'm still, I, I fall sort of an 80-20 thing that most of it is is nurture, but there's some nature to it. And the more people I talk to, the more I probably couldn't be convinced that it's 100% of one or 100% of the other. I, I don't think the 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 magnitude of that, oh, you couldn't convince me, but maybe someone out there will one day, one or the other, but um, I'm, I'm open to having my mind changed. Jimmy, final question for you, mate. Um, looking back, on your leadership pathway, what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being an effective leader? Um, I would probably continue with the same theme, which is that um, leadership's not rocket science. And um, if you if you treat people well and um, respect people and build trust, um, the rest of it you can work out. You know, particularly if you're new into leadership, as long as you can um, do that, you know, you can, if, if there's a technical element of leadership that you need to work out, um, you know, not only will you be given the time to do so, but you'll actually likely really encourage people to come and bring you along that journey. Um, my, my last role in leadership was a shift from um, leading that, that recruitment team uh, post-pandemic and into a brand new role for me, which was um, technology. So moving into into the um, the technology team within the Workpack business. And I think when you start with that position of um, empathy, trust, and a level of um, uh, a level of um, honesty that hey you know, I'm coming in here and, and have a lot of learning to do to be able to effectively lead this team. That's the thing that actually helped people, um, you know, come around you and, and, and help sort of develop that skill set from a technical capability while you're, you know, doing all the other stuff that, that might be more of those, I guess, softer leadership skills. So I think what I would tell my younger self is, is um, you know, always put people first and, and, you know, the rest you'll be able to work out. It's the wisdom, Jimmy. Thank you for your time today, mate. It's been great. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Eric. I'd like to thank Jimmy for his time today and sharing his insights, particularly those around empathy and understanding from a leadership point of view why people are in the world of work and how does that help you create a better environment for the teams that you're leading. Thanks again for following the podcast. As always, drop a like if you're into the content or if you can help me, please subscribe to the channel. Thanks again. Have a great day, rest of your week, and we'll catch you all in July for the next series of Talking Leadership TV.